Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we are here tonight as part of our ongoing series of journeying through the realms to discuss the Spelljammer D&D setting. Spelljammer was originally published as a box set in 1989 for the second edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. It was designed and written by Jeff Grubb. And while there have been no official Spelljammer products from TSR or Wizards of the Coast since that initial run of products, there have long been rumors and hopes for a 5th edition Spelljammer campaign source books. As of this recording, nothing has been confirmed. Joining me today, or I should say tonight, to talk about Spelljammer is my guest, Chris Anderson, aka Worst underscore GM on Twitter. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Long-time listener, first-time guest. I'm very, very excited to have you onto the show. Now, for anyone who's listening who may not be familiar with you, give us a little bit of your background about you know how long you've been playing, favorite games, your Twitter handles, anything that you want to share. Uh, so I've been playing since about 1989, about the time the Spell Chamber came out, actually. So second edition Dungeons & Dragons was my introduction to tabletop RPGs, as was a lot of people my age, so... I just loved it. Just dove into it feet first and never looked back. Nice. So I actually, I still have my Spelljammer DM screen. Uh, Spelljammer was, I bought that setting and tried to get my friends to play it because I had the same friend group. I've talked about them many times, Brandon, Bill and Joe throughout the series of the podcast. And I was constantly trying to find ways to change up the game a little bit because I loved D&D from the start. From the jump, I absolutely loved it. And my friends kind of liked it. And so I was always that one, you know, if you go back to the Stranger Things, that uh, sort of meme where it's like, can we play D&D today? Can we play? <laughs> like, I was that one who's like, hey, can we play today? So I bought Council of the Worms. I bought Forgotten Realms. I bought Spelljammer. I was trying to find anything to make them as excited about the game as I was already. And nothing worked. And I think we spelled, played Spelljammer one time. They basically found a a Hulk, like a like an abandoned spacecraft, is floating in the voids, mm-hmm. and it was almost like a haunted house type of story where they were trying to investigate this ship and and delve into it. So this was probably would have been eighty nine as well. I, I started playing probably eighty seven roughly, and uh, so probably right at the time it came out, I bought it, and then I don't have it anymore, other than I still have the DM the screen DM screen. My mind went completely like that for a minute. So I guess I, I just told you my Spelljammer origin story. So let's start with yours. So how did you actually come to start playing or, you know, buy Spelljammer or get involved with it in any way? So it was snuck onto us during a regular second edition Dungeons & Dragons game. Our group was actually playing through Ravenloft and we were making a royal mess of it. <laughs> I don't know if you played second edition Ravenloft, but it did not do well for groups that were more kind of murder hobos okay hack and slash there was actual repercussions for doing bad things within the world of ravenloft okay and uh, we were a little quick to pick or a little slow to pick up on that i should say so (laughs) so our dm at the time gave us an out uh there's actually a spelljammer adventure an early one called wild space it's actually supposed to be supposed to act as an introductory adventure to the to the setting so you're just going along in a regular world and a rope ladder just comes down from out of a fog so it just so happened to fit in perfectly with Ravenloft. We were wandering through the mists. We needed an escape and dropped the rope ladder and we were off into wild space. Nice. So like I said, uh, it fit everything that we were looking for. It was a lot weirder than regular Dungeons and Dragons, a lot less grounded and, uh, 
European medieval fantasy. Right. It opened up the worlds more than than Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms. All right. So for anyone who might be listening who just knows nothing about Spelljammer, in just sort of broad terms, what is the Spelljammer setting? So uh, I'll push up my nerd glasses here a little bit. Spelljammer is not actually a setting. Okay. Technically, uh, it's sort of like Planescape where it it exists among the other settings for mm-hmm. Dungeons & Dragons for 2nd Edition. The foreword of the Spelljammer book in the box set it opens up with a line, everything you know about space is wrong. And then it begins to tell you how space works within the world of Dungeons & Dragons. So basically, each of the worlds, Kryn or uh, Tarin for Forgotten Realms, I blanked on the Greyhawk planet, but they all exist within crystal spheres in space. Just like it sounds like a glass sphere that sits within space. Outside of that is Phlogiston, which is a old-timey kind of sciencey word for what people thought existed in space. <laughs> it's, it's just flammable gas. So they took some some steampunk elements, uh, the ideas of lodestones and things like that. That if you look back on early fiction for space travel, and they brought it over to Dungeons and Dragons. Are there any moons made of cheese? I don't think there was any moons made of cheese, so... Best um, opportunity, then. Probably so. I'm yeah. sure uh, a fifth edition would probably bring that in. Um, but it, it gave you a way to to travel from if you wanted to start a game in Dragonlance, and when you got to level five, you wanted to move over to Forgotten Realms, or you wanted to move to Greyhawk, Carater, uh, or uh, any of the other settings, the any of the other thousands of settings that TSR put out in the in the late 80s to saturate the market... Mm-hmm. Spelljammer was your opportunity. So, so essentially, it it sort of canonized that all these settings all existed simultaneously with all of the others. Yes, absolutely. But they were all separated separated from each other through this void of space. Yes. But Spelljammer gave characters the ability to travel through that space. They did. So you could. You could setting hop, like you said, you go from Dragonlance to Forgotten Realms to Greyhawk to wherever, but you could also just play outside of those into the Spelljammer space where you would encounter, again, like in my my story, other spacecraft. I don't know if they were called spacecraft, but other ships, and you could just, you know, interact with creatures and and other beings in this void. And isn't that where, like, Githanki and Githaki, I'm sure I'm saying those wrong, those are a big part. Yeah, uh, so it did introduce a lot of new races. The one probably everybody knows is the giant space hamster. Mm, yep. uh, if anybody's played Baldur's Gate, obviously Minx has a a miniature giant space hammer, giant space hamster. But the giant space hamster is actually a monster that Spelljammer introduced, along with the the gif. Uh, the gif were actually just brought back in fifth edition. They're anthropomorphized hippos yep. that are mer- uh, mercenaries. So. They all have fancy military uniforms. What else? The Neoji was a, a good race. I think they they have been introduced in 5th edition as well. They uh, have spider bodies and eel heads. They look like the main bad guy for Monsters, Inc., if you've seen that. so It's been a very long time since I've seen that. So look it up when we're done. You'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So. Gotcha. Okay. But uh, as you mentioned, the main draw of Spelljammer was the ships. So... I'm a big fan of pirates and naval battles, and if you can take all that and put it into a fantasy setting, and then have all your battles be in three dimensions, like air uh, combat, I'll buy that all day long. So, 
the main thrust of Spelljammer, the main rule that it introduced was the travel, and that was through the Spelljammer helm, which was a, a chair that you sat on as a magic user, and you pumped your magical energy into that chair, and that's how you made the ship. That was its motive energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was actually one of the things that we, I think right away, I just changed because no one, I was like the only player in our game that liked to play magic users. Like I was always the wizard. Mm-hmm. And so if I was running, which I almost always ran, no one played a wizard. But what I wanted to do was, and I think from, if I remember correctly, I had the players find like a abandoned ship, you know, like it had crashed and everyone died, but the ship was still salvageable. And so I just allowed whoever sat there was able to to pilot sure. it just because I wanted that's how I wanted to start them into spell jammers. They were in this world I had already established. But I do like that idea that it takes a magic user. I think it's probably overall a good choice. But as a 14-year-old DM who just wanted my <laughs> players to care, God darn it, um, that's how I I got around that. But it, was psionics also kind of a big thing? Was it like mind flares or just like a thing you experience out in the void? It, it was. It was actually kind of hinted at that mind flares came from space. Even prior to Spelljammer, there was... And I think even canon now within Dungeons and Dragons, no one has nailed down where mind flayers come from. So yeah, in the rhyme of the Frostmaiden setting, there are mind flayers, and there's also a Nautilus ship that mm-hmm. they basically say came from outside the world, and pretty much say it's Spelljammer or not Spelljammer, but it's outer space, which is again why everyone as pretty much since Fifth Edition came out, people have said, "Oh, the next book is Spelljammer. The next book is Spelljammer." On and on and on, and. Truth be told, the next book after the one that's announced could be Spelljammer. Who knows? It could be. Or they could just keep dropping Easter eggs for another 10 years to to get everybody's hopes up. So Right. So we've, so really, we've already kind of talked about it, but to try to nail down the unique features of this setting. So they, they included rules for space travel. They included the rules for these uh, nauticals or the, the ships. So was there combat rules for ship-to-ship combat? I don't remember that part. There, there was. Uh, so because it was second edition Dungeons & Dragons, the rules for Spelljammer are, they're dense. Mm-hmm. So they, they covered everything, uh, how much air your ship could hold, uh, how gravity works on the plane of the ship. So theoretically, you could fight on the bottom of your ship because of how the gravity plane works. So anytime I've run Spelljammer, I've thrown most of it out because it it really bogs everything down. Right. But obviously the designers put a lot of effort into having uh, a rule for everything. And that was kind of a hallmark of second edition. There was, people really wanted to know how everything worked. So, yeah. But there was, uh, there was rules for uh, crew served weapons on ship, ballista or catapults. Uh, there was rules for how spells worked ship to ship because your, your ship had its own pocket of air, but outside of that, there was, it was just the void. So there was things that would not work for ship to ship, uh, but, uh, the ship combat they did on a hex map and it got a little complicated as far as ship movement and turning. And they had a, a thing called a ship rating that gave you the speed. And then there was hull points, which were 10 times the hit points. So, like I said, it it was dense, and it was one of the things that probably needed to be streamlined a lot, and probably one of the the detriments of the setting. All right. So, other than those and like a couple we've already talked about, is there anything else, uh, any other rule sets or again unique features about Spelljammer that you just it's something you'd like to call out as something you particularly enjoy, or maybe something you're like, nope, and you threw that out right away. So, probably the best thing is the ships. Uh, honestly, like you said, the Nautiloid. 
the ship designs and the ship art for Spelljammer is, is one of the things, even after we played, that really drew me to all the products. And I, I can see the background behind you. I know that this is a, not a visual medium, but the amount of just creativity that went to the design of the ships, from anything to Earth-based galleons to the Nautiloid, which looks like a an Earth ship mixed with a, a seashell. The Elven ships were more nature-based, insects and birds. And all the ships, when you got the books, had detailed maps for them. Mm-hmm. If you were lucky enough, we got far enough in our game where we owned a ship. And it really threw you into the world being able to kind of customize your own ship. It's kind of the thing that people look for with Strongholds now in yep. Dungeons & Dragons, which it doesn't seem like something that should appeal to people who want to wander around adventure, but <laughs> it's it's nice to own things. It gives you a good thing to spend all the gold pieces that you earn. Right. Yeah, that was definitely one of the things that drew me to it and what I was trying to get my my players to get involved with was the ships. Because I also like pirate campaigns mm-hmm. and I kind of like horror campaigns. So to me, that was that perfect marriage of they give they get they get their own ship, they go into outer space and they find this abandoned hulk and then they explore it like almost like a dungeon, but the environment is now different. Like I still even now saying that I'm like that could be a really cool, fun game. Probably me being 14 years old and a terrible DM. I just didn't <laughs> present it that way. Uh, but those are definitely a couple of the features that I particularly was interested in. So again, I interrupted you. Please continue. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, there was a, a Dungeon Magazine uh, adventure that actually kind of had the same setup that you're talking about, except it was take it took place on in the Forgotten Realms, actually, where you were hired by a band of dwarf mercenaries to go in and get this treasure from their ancestral home. And what you found was a crashed nautiloid that had buried itself into the mountain. And there was some wounded mind flayers that were still there as well as some umber hulks which uh were a, a slave race in second edition to the neoji so that was another thing you could fix up that ship but like you said you could turn it all into a dungeon crawl very easily to get your players off the world i don't know anybody that wouldn't find a spaceship and just get immediately excited about being able to go places so right just the the possibility, the the adventures that open up in front of you, being able to get off your world. And it lets you tell different stories that I think there's a point in Dungeons and Dragons where you get to a certain level and nothing's really a challenge for you. And when you present things as a challenge in the back of your head, you're thinking, where has this been the whole time? Right. You know, yes. I, I live in this world. Now that I'm 10th level, suddenly these unbelievable monsters are coming out of the woodwork. When you can go to another setting like Planescape or Spelljammer, you can say, well, these higher challenges exist because you're somewhere else now. Right. So you could transport to a different planet or into wild space itself and meet new challenges. And it makes sense within the campaign. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of those sort of narrative things trying to make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, I've I've played D&D long enough to know, I'm not going to say that I haven't ever violated that myself, but I do try to give some reason why suddenly you're fighting these things that are a challenge that you didn't even know existed when you were first level, because if they did, they would have wiped you out, and why you don't hardly ever seem to run into the challenges that you fought at first level, (laughs) because now they wouldn't bother you. Absolutely. Uh, You know, so I do like that aspect a lot. And again, I'm completely ignorant of this. I know that just the the very brief research I did, that the original box set came out in 89. And it sounds seems like from what I read, there were several box sets that came out related to it. But I think it either broke down 
uh, specific types of ships. Again, I don't, you may know, but there's like maybe four or five products in, in all. I'm sure they were dungeon and, you know, dragon uh, articles and such, but I think the product line was pretty short. It was. But it's well beloved. Like again, to this day, 35 some years later, people are still clamoring for this. Can you speak to any of those other products that came out? Uh, so like I said earlier, Spelljammer kind of came out at the tail end of TSR's peak. So, and it was at a point where they had really saturated the market with so many settings and so many products, which sounds great. But at some point, like you said, when you're 14 years old, you don't have unlimited funds to buy everything. Yeah. So you had to make hard decisions about what you were going to spend your money in in Dungeons and Dragons. And if a setting didn't speak to you, you weren't going to spend your money on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the biggest thing that they really did was a lot of the books, there's a... The box set was two books. It was uh, Concordance of Arcane Space and Lore Book of the Void. And then big maps. Big maps and big, uh, nice, heavy stock cards that had ship art on the front and then the ship maps on the back. Tokens, a huge hex map for space combat. It really was a nicely put together box set. Especially at the time when a lot of stuff that TSR was putting out was a little on the, the cheap side for quality. But beyond that, they did a lot of adventures. I say a lot, but it was a handful. Maybe they just stick in my mind because I enjoyed them so much. But Right, yeah. And then a couple more source books that expanded on the lore, added some new races in, added a lot of ships. The original box sets gave most of the ships to humans and elves and then mind flayers and lizard men, which was a, a playable race that they actually introduced in that box set. But further books introduced more ships for orcs, goblins, kobolds. Uh, they did some nice stuff with gnomes and Spelljammer. Okay. Uh, so the Dragonlance setting kind of made gnomes more of a tinker race. And Spelljammer picked up on that to the point where gnomes actually were making machines more than anything. Okay. Not great machines, but machines nonetheless. So Sure, yeah. So uh, one of my favorite actual monsters from Spelljammer is the Auto Gnome, which is a robot gnome that... Uh, had a chart that you could roll on if it had critical fails for malfunctions that it would have. And I, I like that stuff. I'm a huge fan of charts. So, <laughs> But at the same time, they also came out with a couple monstrous compendiums for Spelljammer, which one of the things I loved about second edition was instead of having to buy a hardcover all the time, you could go and buy basically soft cover packets that had sheets with them and you put them in a binder that they sold for, yep. for a monster. I, so I had that binder. <laughs> I had them too. So I, I I would buy those and never play the races just so I could flip through them. I love reading stats and, mm-hmm. and looking at them. And I, I love dreaming about all the campaigns that I would never put them in. So, yep. Yep. but, but Spelljammer had two of those. They, the races were a little hit and miss. Some of the things, because they were trying to fill big space areas there was monsters like rogue planets that were ego from Marvel Comics that were actual sentient planets that attack ships. And so if you couldn't get a group to really go into ship combat, it really kind of dive into that. It was hard to put those monsters in. But Wasn't there like a giant space whale? There was a giant space whale, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they had uh, ghost sailors that would just show up on your ship while you were traveling through the phlogiston. So one of the things I didn't mention was the phlogiston is highly flammable so using any kind of fire spells or fire in general outside of the air bubble that your ship carried would cause a catastrophe so and the phlogiston was dangerous because that's where the the more powerful monsters 
lived. They didn't live in wild space because they were hunted, you know, like like regular earth whales. They're not going to live where there's people tra- traveling all the time. So Right. But it also gave you an opportunity to throw bigger monsters at at the crews because they're they have a ship. So they have mm. ballista that they can attack it with. I feel like if that uh, phlogiston, if I'm saying anywhere near right, is so flammable that like just the odds are someone eventually would have cast a fireball and it should have just chain reacted and destroyed everything in the entire universe. <laughs> uh, probably so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They never got in the physics of that, uh, how quickly it would destroy everything. But So I'm also not familiar because um, usually when they introduce these, they introduce like NPCs. Are, are there any you know, uh, prominent NPCs that you can remember from any of the box sets that might have come into play? There's not any that I can remember. Uh, there were a couple a couple of uh, the adventures that had pirates. Uh, one of them had an entire crew of goblin pirates. Uh, there was an adventure called the Crystal Spheres that actually had you travel to a couple Crystal Spheres that were not related to any of the, uh, the published settings, so not Kryn or Forgotten Realms. They were new ones introduced specifically for that adventure. And it, it was kind of a fetch quest. You were looking for a prince that had escaped from his family on a ship. And uh, he was interesting as an NPC. And that adventure actually had some interesting settings. One of the crystal spheres that you went to was dominated by a giant tree. That was the only feature inside of it. And the cities were actually built on the limbs of the trees. Not too practical, but imaginative and interesting enough for yeah. throwing into a campaign. So probably the biggest uh, area setting-wise, though, not for NPCs, but there was the Rock of Brawl, which was a a city actually built by spacefaring humans on a big asteroid that was actually steerable, so it moved through space. Hmm. And it it kind of acted as a a base where you could go and buy supplies or get your ship fixed, pick up uh, additional quests. And then from the box set, there was the Spelljammer itself. And the Spelljammer was a massive ship shaped like a manta ray of unknown origins. It had just always existed as long as anybody had been out in space could remember. And it just traveled through space without any rhyme or reason. But there were cities built on it because it was so huge. So it was another place that you could go and and pick up adventures. Yeah, I do remember, I think you mentioned that uh, that yours your ship had like a rating that determined how much oxygen that it mm-hmm. had. And that was another way that you could sort of manage uh, like resources. You could force the players to have to find some place to land to get oxygen because they would run out. You know, it's just like water yeah. on a ship or food on a ship. You only have so much. So eventually you're going to have to port somewhere. And that could be a, well, you're out in the middle of nowhere, but you're running out of oxygen. So you see a crystal sphere, you're going to have to go. Absolutely stop in and then you could throw throw out whatever adventure you had planned for the session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was there was agencies that existed within spell and space. So the elves actually had a military armada. So if you wanted to play a pirate crew or smugglers, if you wanted to do an entire Firefly campaign, you weren't just going to be able to do it willy-nilly. There would be agents of law and order that would come in and try to stop you. And you know, same if you wanted to do just a a regular adventure, there was Agents of Chaos that were out there. The the Mind Flayers, as you mentioned earlier, were out in space just being evil for the sake of being evil, like Mind Flayers do. And uh, the Neoji were world conquerors, so they went around and enslaved Crystal Spheres and used the, the people that they had enslaved to power their ships. So they were, once again, evil just for the sake of being evil, 
but not leaning heavily on the the races that had always just been evil for the sake of being evil. So uh, one of the things that in one of the games we played, our DM actually let us play non-player sandbook races. So the box set introduced a couple of other playable races, and then some of the other books did as well, but he just let us go whole hog. I played a Thrykreen in that mm-hmm. campaign. I uh, One of my friends played a Knoll. Because we were out in space, it wasn't that odd that you would go into a bar and it would be like the cantina scene from Star Wars. Right. Where it wasn't that odd to see a, a party that was an ogre and a Thrykreen or an Anole. You weren't going to get four humans and a half-elf. Right. That would be a, a weird-looking crew. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah you would... Uh, if you if you rolled in on an Earth ship like a galleon with a, a standard Dungeons & Dragons 2nd edition party, people would, would look at you like you were space noobs. So Yeah. Now, uh, you, so you kind of mentioned some of the, what I would call like storyline stuff, where you have like elves have their own armada. Are there any storylines that you can kind of re- remember or recall or want to touch on as far as like the existing stuff that players might interact with to generate adventures? Uh, there was. Like I said, there was – most of the adventures kind of leaned heavily on piracy stuff or just the same tropes that you would get in a in a, a planet-based campaign. It just – it opened it up wider. So uh, the Crystal Spheres one was kind of a, a royal wedding that the groom had skipped out on and you were tasked with, with hunting them down. So I don't think they ever got to a point where they had an overarching storyline – Within the uh, the published for adventures or source books, there was a comic series though that came out around the same time from Marvel, I think, that got a lot deeper into kind of the lore and a storyline for forgot or for Spelljammer. But okay, un- unfortunately, it never got the opportunity to, to for its world to really change like Greyhawk did or Forgotten Realms or or Dragonlance because I can't even remember a lot of tie-in novels. Honestly, I, I just think it. It was too late in the product run to to really get a foothold, which is odd because it seems to have a huge fan base. Well, huge is probably the wrong word. So a, a passionate fan, a passionate fan yeah, base. So. Passionate fan base. Yeah. I, again, vocal so. if not necessarily large. I don't know. Because again, my, my Twitter sphere is pretty small, but mm-hmm. within it, I have seen a lot of people clamoring for Spelljammer and wanting it, Spelljammer to come back in 5th edition. Um, and I, I, I sort of say that I, the reason I kind of did that introduction that way was almost jokingly to just sort of kind of help per- perpetuate this as well, that there have been these rumors for as long as I've you know been around the fifth edition world, uh, that people keep saying the next one is going to be it. So uh, I'm just doing my part to keep things rolling. <laughs> uh, so we've kind of touched on it already, but, you know, being sort of a, a, a piratey sort of situation, that you know you're basically in space, but it could be thought of as that you're out in the ocean. You got ships that interact with other ships, or it could be floating cities and that kind of thing. But what kind of adventures do you think Spelljammer supports, maybe over other adventures? I think the easy answer is none, because you can go to any setting that currently exists or make up your own homebrewed world. But adding in the the space maybe pirate scene. But I'll I'll put the question to you: Can you think of the types of adventures that maybe Spelljammer would do better than another setting, per se? Uh, in my experience, anything that's a huge mystery, an open setting like Spelljammer really helps with, because okay. if you're trying to play something in Forgotten Realms and it's like, oh, there's this powerful device and there's going to be 
lore about it and you're going to be able to find out about it. Nothing is ever going to be a mystery to anyone because it's it's a regular world. It's And it's filled with adventurers out there with swords and bows and arrows that are exploring every nook and cranny of it trying to look for treasure. So if you're out in space, you can really build up worlds and things that no one's ever experienced before. As a DM, it's also a lot easier. If you're playing in a published setting like Forgotten Realms or Dragonlance, a lot of your players are going to know a lot of the lore, and it's hard to introduce things. It's hard to introduce things that don't contradict other things that already exist, unless everybody in your group's fully on board with that, that you're not going to play the published lore. Right. Uh, Spelljammer, you can say, okay, there's this other crystal sphere out here that has all this other interesting things going on in it. And no one knows that lore. So you can set up mysteries. You can introduce new technology. So one of the things that Spelljammer really leaned heavily on was guns. So uh, obviously second edition had the Arquebus and I think one other one, but Spelljammer brought in some other pistols and cannons. So the the introduction of gunpowder. So if you're bringing in gunpowder, it's not really that much of a stretch to bring in some other steampunky technology elements. Right. The setting never did that other than the, the gnome things. But uh, the opportunity was there, especially for, for a DM or a, a player group to kind of mine the territory that the setting never got to mine. All right. So this next question here is kind of a big one. Do you have a favorite memory as either a player, player or a DM from a Spelljammer set uh, campaign? Uh, so probably I, I actually ran a fifth edition Spelljammer campaign a few years back. I, I spent a lot of time adapting the rules over and threw a lot of the rules out because it just it bogged everything down. So we actually ran a, a pirate campaign. The players were a pirate crew, and I actually based it off of uh, there's a Chinese pirate, uh, uh, actual a woman pirate that was feared throughout the Pacific but kind of lost to history. So I based it off of her with some with some changes that she was a, a feared pirate within all of the uh, wild space. And she was one of the members of a pirate council and then her and all her fleet of ships just disappeared. So 25 years later, they reappeared with more technology, some different monsters that no one had ever seen before and some expanded magic and started to take over basically all of the realm. So killing the other pirates and uh, expanding or consolidating their, their empire into hers. So um, unfortunately it didn't finish, but hmm. I, I enjoyed it while it lasted. So <laughs> I mean, that's a very nice setup. The yeah. disappearing pirates come back from the great beyond uh, with new information, new technology, and now they're exp- taking over. That's a great start of a game. I had a good group and I let them be, I let them lean a little more evil in the campaign because they weren't heroes. They were actually pirates. So basically they were resisting this pirate Lord that came back because she was a threat to them. So there was no, no noble cause that they were trying to fight for other than their own survival. So it let them kind of spread their wings a little bit more and do some things that you wouldn't normally do in a campaign. So, right. All right. Uh, so let's say we have someone out there who's listening who really thinks this Spelljammer stuff sounds cool and they want to run a campaign uh, set in or using Spelljammer as a sort of a, you know an avenue for an adventure. 
What is uh, a piece of advice or just general advice you would give to a new DM or a new to Spelljammer DM? Uh, probably the biggest thing that I would say is let the players and your story go as big and weird as possible. So because you're no longer tied to to lore and anything else within one of the realms, you can introduce things that you normally wouldn't. Even if they don't stick, you can introduce them just to give your players something else to kind of to chew on for a while. So, you know, you can make big rock dragons that curl up and they look like moons or huge floating ships, like you said, that were derelicts that the players can explore just to have something to do. Uh, it doesn't have to be your standard dungeon crawl and it doesn't have to be your standard big bad evil guy trying to take over the world. You need to really, as your feet get off the ground, let your, your imagination soar with the game. So, and then so I guess just tied to that, I just get your opinion on, because when I started my Spelljammer campaign, again, I started them on a, it was a homebrew world that they then went to Spelljammer. And I feel like that's a lot of way, a lot of, the lot of people started their games that way. If you were going to start a Spelljammer campaign now, would you advise that to, to start there? Like start them on a world and then they go to Spelljammer or just say, we're playing Spelljammer. You're starting off in space with spaceships. And that's what you know, or is, or is the element of learning your characters learning as your players learn helpful? No, I, I think I would do it exactly like that. I think I would let the party get to third or fifth level and then introduce Spelljammer and really add in that fish out of water scenario. So, okay. Because at that point, everything should be shocking to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you lived in space your whole life, nothing's going to be shocking for you and you, you lose a lot of the magic of the, of the setting. So. Gotcha. So that ties into the next question I usually ask is what advice would you give for a player? So then I kind of, I think we need to take that two avenues. If you have a, someone who started a campaign thinking it was a traditional, you know, Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, Eberron game, and then they go to Spelljammer, that's different than if you start in Spelljammer. So I guess we'll try to apply it both ways. So you're, you're in a, a campaign, you go to space. What advice would you give to a player that's now in space? And then follow that up with what advice would you give someone who's starting in space as, a, as advice to a player? So if your DM didn't warn you that he was going to do this or she was going to do this, then I would scold them. <laughs> so Because that, that should have been discussed at the beginning of the campaign. But my main piece of advice is the main piece of advice I give for, for all D&D players. You have to heed the call to adventure no matter what it is. So pushing back against things or butting your head against things the, the past that lay ahead of you just makes it so your game's not that much fun. So if a rope ladder appears from the sky, you should climb that rope ladder. There should be no hesitation. So you're an adventurer. That's what you're you're doing. You're exploring the world, looking for treasure, looking for monsters to slay or monsters to befriend, maybe evil armies to defeat or tales to be written about you, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're in Forgotten Realms or Spelljammer. So... You have to embrace it, especially, I mean, the DM, it, you've ran a Spelljammer campaign. Uh, there's a lot of places that you can go in space because it's space. All directions are open to you. Right. So your DM's going to have to do a lot more work than they would in a traditional setting. So when you're difficult about that and you don't want to go places that they've spent a lot of time lovingly crafting for you, entire worlds and... That's not cool, but so just embrace it. Embrace the weirdness. Uh, let let it get onto you. So 
I like that a lot. I've said for years, you know, my, one of my pieces of DM advice is that there's always a chandelier. And I think that the, my player equivalent is now, if you're a player, if, this, if a rope ladder appears in front of you, climb it. Absolutely. Like that's, just, that's just the advice. Are, is there any place that you go to? Uh, obviously, the setting is, quote unquote, dead. You know, you might be able to find copies of stuff in used bookstores. I'm sure there's probably something on DM's Guild or drive through but are there any websites that you go to or anything that I could send someone that might help them explore this setting a little bit more? So there used to be a great blog called uh, theworstdm.com that's been closed down where they did some some loving 5th edition conversion for the rules, but unfortunately I had to shut that down. So I would recommend spelljammer.org. Okay. The official title of the website is Spelljammer Beyond the Moons, and it is a wiki kind of a wiki in the loosest sense where it's actually kind of a lovingly created website that details all the stuff about the world of Spelljammer and the lore, lists all the books that were available, lists some things that were done for third edition that never really made it into published settings. Uh, there was a video game that came out, but they've compiled it all very nicely and uh, it's it was done with a lot of passion about Spelljammer. So that's uh, actually one of the places I visit a lot when I was doing the blog, but I, I think it's a fantastic resource. Okay. So I kind of like to do sort of a, uh, you know, a, a catch all question. You know, you love Spelljammer, but you know, the, the, the way this sort of interview is structured, there's specific things we want to touch on, but is there anything we haven't talked about that you just want to talk about because it's Spelljammer and you love Spelljammer or you want to make sure that people listening know that you love this aspect of Spelljammer. So it's sort of like a big catch-all question. What didn't we talk about or what did we not talk about enough that you'd like to talk about? I don't really have anything. The biggest thing I would say is if you are interested in Spelljammer and if you think it's something that you want to learn more about, go online and look at the art that was done for second edition Spelljammer. Because of any of the art for second edition, in my opinion, it's the most evocative to kind of draw you into a setting and, and give you a sense of what you're getting for. Uh, just the the oddest things, space battles, uh, there's a, a drawing of a batship tearing apart another ship that it just gives you such a sense of what you're going to be playing. And if you're a DM, it gives you ideas for adventures. If you're a player, it should give you a a really good feeling about the setting in the world. And I think any more than any dragon sitting on a mountain that you were always going to get in second edition, there's a more dynamic quality to the art. And I, I think it does such a great job of uh, really bringing players and, and DMs into the world. So I just had a, so almost like a random thought. So I'm going to throw it in here. And I know you mentioned the spell jammer itself as a artifact of yes. this quote unquote setting. And did it also, it sort of worked in a similar vein to the Underdark, where you had the cities that were built on it, but you could take these delves into yes. the ship yep. and maybe only get like two levels down and then you come back up and the further down you went, yep. which down is relative in this, sure. but the deeper you got into the ship, you would find new and stranger things. Uh, so I think, isn't that kind of how that worked there? I So the Spelljammer itself, I think was a, only a surface level city because I think and I'm probably misremembering this, that the Spelljammer itself was maybe a living creature, but the Rock of Brawl was, because it was built on an asteroid, had different levels on it. 
Okay. It, it had a surface level where more of a wealthier class lived. It had a lake. But then as you got down, you got to the seedier levels. But I, you, you could be right. Honestly, I I, I don't remember. I well, Again, I literally have not touched that setting in 35 years. But I, I do remember, I, I have a memory of that there was that sort of thing where you had the surface level city on this giant artifact, the ship, mm-hmm. but that the ship itself was sort of like separated and you would have to explore it and you could go a few, like you start exploring, and then you might probably have to come back up. So it kind of worked like an underdark type of thing or, or like a mega dungeon sort of situation, but it was set on the ship that itself flew around or I, I think so. I don't know. I could be misremembering. It, it did. It just, it flew around with, with no certain agenda. Mm-hmm. Or, or no known agenda exactly to, yep. all right to the players awesome like spelljammer again i think it's a campaign type of again not to use the word setting uh <laughs> that i would like to run in because i think it allows me to do a lot of the things that i like to do as a dm more so than some of the other stuff these larger aspects and i do i do really like the idea of no matter what world you're on if you create a, a mystery the answer to that mystery might be Spelljammer. You know, there's a thing Absolutely. that's causing other things to happen. What is it? It's a crash ship. Or there's this thing that's, you know, doesn't seem to fit in this world. Well, it's not from this world. It's from another world. So I do really just like that aspect kind of makes me giddy with the possibilities of there being this, these answers. And, and so I guess I'm probably not the most vocal, but I'm certainly in the camp of, I kind of want a fifth edition Spelljammer book. I think it would be a lot of fun. I think you could you could do it without it having to be a, a 300-page setting book. If you trim down the rules and just... They've already sprinkled a lot of the lore and Easter eggs into other books with the, the Nautiloid and Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. They introduced the GIF. I think uh, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage had a Spelljammer helm in one of the rooms. So I think people are ready for it. If you don't throw in 100 pages of ship-to-ship combat rules, which actually you already have because I think Ghost of Saltmarsh had... Some ship combat, so I think it does. Yeah, I think it has ship ship combat rules. I, I think really, if you just introduce the the ideas of the the wild space and the phlogiston and some additional monsters, I I don't know. I know it sounds easy, but <laughs> to me, it seems easy. Right. I think that's part of the reason why so many people are constantly thinking that that's the next setting because there are so many elements mm-hmm. that have already been included, sprinkled in. Like you said, these all these other books. That all they would need is a, a like a hundred pages of core Spelljammer lore, and then they could just basically reprint the ship to ship rules, but make them you know space rules. I I feel like they they've they've laid enough groundwork sure. to justify that type of thing. And let's be honest, Wasi's job is to make money, and it sounds like there's a fan base out there that would certainly buy. Uh, can you imagine looking at the alt cover? <laughs> of what the fifth edition Spelljammer core book would look like. It'd probably be pretty psychedelic. Probably so. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. Well, Chris, man, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I absolutely had a blast. It's so clear that you love Spelljammer. Uh, and hopefully there's some maybe some new people, new converts out there who will love it now as well. If someone wants to interact with you and come talk to you about Spelljammer, where should they go? How can they contact you? Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is through Twitter. It's worst underscore GM. So if you want to talk to me about Spelljammer on there, I will talk to you all day long. So Fantastic. Well, Chris, once again, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Any last words for anyone before we sign off? 
Try Spelljammer. It's fun. You'll love it. So. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much. And for those listening, thank you for joining. And hopefully we'll see you as we continue our journey through these realms of the various Wizards of the Coast TSR, TSR settings. You can email me, of course, at therpgacademy at gmail.com. Uh, and please consider joining our Discord or follow me on Twitter at the RPG Academy. So thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, and if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.